Turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We pick up our study of Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11 says this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we could use Your help this morning, Lord. I pray that you would help us to understand. I pray, Lord, that, um, that I would decrease and that Christ would increase. Lord, we pray that you would give us what we need this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a headline. It was uh, April 18th in the year 1906. It was the Los Angeles Daily Times, and the headline was this, Weird Babble of Tongues. The location was 312 Azusa Street, there in the city of Los Angeles. Much has changed in the sort of the literal landscape of that area of L.A. since the early 1900s. That building, 312 Azusa Street, is gone now. But this address was all the rage back then and the subject of many headlines and much controversy. It was here on Azusa Street in L.A., that a charismatic African-American holiness movement one-eyed preacher named William Seymour led revival meetings. Seymour had come to L.A. and preached to a congregation that did not like his sermon at all. He had argued that speaking in tongues was the evidence of having received the Holy Spirit, even though he had not received or experienced that himself. And so the leaders of the church vehemently disagreed with him, and they actually padlocked him out of the church building. So he then went to a home on Bonnie Bray Street, and he continued his preaching, and over time, hundreds would come to hear him. And then he moved to Azusa Street. He came to a building that at one time had been a church, but then it had become a warehouse and Probably some lumber had been stored in there at one point, but by the time he got there, it was vacant. And he moved into it, and eventually thousands would come to hear him preach. Many have said that this was a great time of revival. It was a time of speaking in tongues, they said. 
There were purported hearings, uh, healings, and, and stories of miracles. Seymour had a special doctrine that he was preaching, that he was promoting. It was a unique, new, and a particular doctrine which should always send up red flags. His new doctrine was this, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit occurs subsequent to salvation. He said that the sign of this baptism of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues, but not the type of speaking in tongues that we see in a couple of places in the Bible. Rather, it was a weird babble of tongues. And this is what caught the attention of the editors of the L.A. Times. Thousands would come to listen to this new teaching and to participate in these revival meetings, which, which lasted almost a full decade, well into the year 1915. And soon what happened there on Azusa Street spread all over the country. In fact, it actually spread all over the world. Eventually, these revivals led to denominations like the Assemblies of God who embraced that strange doctrine that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is after salvation and that not all Christians are baptized in the Holy Spirit. In fact, they teach that in order to have a full Christian life, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit after salvation, and the sign of which is that speaking in tongues. Well, later this would develop over time into what we call today the charismatic movement. And this Pentecostal charismatic movement would spread all over the country and all over the world. In fact, it is probably the largest Christian movement of the 20th century. It's spread not just here in America, but all over Africa and Central and South America in particular as well. And it all started in the year 1906 on Azusa Street in Los Angeles, California. Of course, it has its roots a little bit back further than that. Um, false teachers don't generally appear from out of nowhere. William Seymour was discipled by a man originally from Iowa named Charles Parham. And this man, Charles Parham, had developed the heresy of tongues being evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and he taught this at a couple of Bible schools that he had developed in Topeka, Kansas, and Houston, Texas. And here's the point. Doctrine that is developed in the Midwest is almost assuredly false doctrine. Now, I'm not really picking on the Midwest. We could say the same thing of what is called for example, the burned-over district of upstate New York, where many false doctrines and even heretical religions developed in the, in the wake of the Second Great Awakening, which did its own theological damage. What I'm really saying is that we must get our doctrine from God's Word and not by simply picking and, and choosing passages and biblical events that we like but by studying the whole of the Bible to determine what the Scriptures actually teach. But my guess is that if you have spent any time um, talking with someone from a charismatic or Pentecostal background, they will appeal to what they have seen and experienced. But experience is not and cannot be our final authority. It must be the whole counsel of God's revealed Word. The, the church today is incredibly confused about spiritual gifts and the role that they play in the Christian life. And, and in this, we really follow the pattern of the Corinthians. 
And so what we're seeing in this passage today is the beginning of Paul's answer to a question that they had sent him about spiritual gifts uh, in general, spiritual gifts in general, but also uh, in particular speaking in tongues. And remember, this answer, as I said last week, it goes all the way through chapter 14. So we're just going to start this answer or maybe continue with the first part of this answer today. But he begins, as we saw last week, by addressing the spirituals. So in verse 1, he says, Now concerning the spirituals, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. And as we saw last week, he teaches that, that in order to understand spiritual things, a person must first confess that Jesus is Lord through the enabling of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we say that, even when we read there in verse Uh, Really, the end of verse 3, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Uh, We understand that this isn't about an inability to formulate the words, right? It's about the confession, Jesus is Lord. No one can truly confess Jesus is Lord except through the Spirit of God, replacing his heart of stone with a heart of flesh, breathing new life into him and enabling him to believe. In fact, in order to be a Christian, a person must first believe that Jesus is Lord of all things and that the very Son of, He is the very Son of God whose death saves us from the guilt and power of sin and whose righteousness is imputed to us through faith. Remember the important exchange that Jesus had with His disciples in Matthew chapter 16? Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi and he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We should remember that this salvation by faith alone finds its roots in this simple statement that we first see in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, and he's speaking of Abraham. It says, And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. He believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And then Paul picks up on that statement, applies it to all Christians in in Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 22, when he says, But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, Abraham's sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. See, for Paul... And by extension for us, knowing and confessing that Jesus is Lord is the starting point when it comes to understanding spiritual things, or or rather, as he says here, for, for being the spirituals, spiritual people. And while this foundation, or the rock, as Jesus says, is found in the confession, Jesus is Lord, 
Paul now goes on to explain that there are a variety of gifts that are given by one deity. One deity. Look, look at verses 4, 5, and 6. He says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of service, but the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Now one of the things that we can infer from these verses is that, and, and really from this entire passage, um, is that the Corinthians believed that there were certain gifts that were more desirable than others. And that those with the, so to speak, the more showy gifts, they were more spiritual, and therefore they were better Christians. And to counter that way of thinking, Paul, Paul wants to be sure that his readers, the Corinthians and, and us, that we know two important and related truths about spiritual gifts. First, he says several times here, there are varieties, or a better translation would be to say that there are different allocations of these gifts. And if this is true, if there are varieties of gifts, if there are different allocations of these gifts, then, then the concept of spiritual gifts, it can't be about status or even about the so-called sign gifts at all. Rather, as Paul says in verse 7 and then again in verse 11, every confessing Christian is given a gift by grace. See, the foundation of the Pentecostal movement it says that if you don't manifest the, the gift of speaking in tongues, then you, then you have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit. But that's wrong. That's, that's false. That's false teaching. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 tells us plainly, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. And a big part of the, of the key to understanding this is actually found here, as Paul says, the word gift. The Greek word that Paul uses there is the word charisma. That, that's the actual word. That's the Greek word. And of course, uh, it is the root word for the word charismatic, right? Someone with charisma. Well, the root word of charisma is charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. Just drop the, sorry, it's Mother's Day, but just drop the ma. I may have just told a dad joke on Mother's Day and from the pulpit. I'm sorry. The root word of charisma, charis, is translated into English as grace. That's the word for grace. And so these are grace gifts. The charisma there means grace gift, a gift of grace. And Paul is saying that there are different allocations of grace gifts to each Christian. But what really gives this the, the emphasis is that each, each Christian is given a, a grace gift by one deity. But not just any deity. These are given to each Christian by the same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God. The giving of these gifts of grace is Trinitarian. Do you see it? 
Do you see the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Spirit, involved there in verses 4, 5, and 6? There are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but the same God. The same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God. These are not just, we sometimes we call them spiritual gifts, and that's fine, it's okay to do that. But these are not simply gifts from the Holy Spirit. Salvation. And everything that salvation entails, whether we're talking about justification or imputation or adoption, all of it is a work of our triune God. The Father, Son, and Spirit are all active in our salvation. Now, the way that this is written, where Paul uses the words gifts and service and activities, or maybe some versions say workings there, these are all meant to be seen as synonymous. Yet the connection, even as he connects each of those gifts and, um, uh, gifts and services and activities, as he connects them to, to each member of the Godhead, even though they're synonyms, the connection is appropriate there. Let me explain. It is only through the grace gift or the, the gift of grace of the indwelling spirit that we can even proclaim Jesus is Lord, right? We saw that in the previous verse. And when we consider our Lord, we ought to think of him as a servant. We should think of his self-sacrifice. We even, Paul connects this to the, the supper there in the previous passage, proclaiming his death until he comes. Jesus himself said in Mark 10, 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus is our servant. And don't miss the fact that God the Father has been active. He has been working all through these things. Jesus even said this in John chapter 5 when he, when he went into the temple and he was accused of, of breaking the Sabbath. He says, my Father is working until now and I am working. And it is the same God, verse 6 says, who empowers them all in everyone. And that word, therefore, empowers, speaking of, of empowering the gifts, that could actually be translated, makes things happen. It is the same God who makes things happen, makes the gifts happen in everyone. Our God, Father, Son, and Spirit, is working in us. Now, I want to point out that at this point, Paul has not named a specific gift yet. yet. Yet, even in these synonyms, gift, service, activity, or working, we can see where this is headed, right? In the building up of the church. So, here are three applications for us from these simple statements. These are quick. First, Paul is writing here in such a way that reinforces the idea of the variety of gifts. Now, he's going to pick up on this theme uh, later in this chapter, uh, really beginning in verse 12. But he's also going to write in Romans chapter 12, very similarly, he says this, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. 
So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, he says. Our God, Father, Son, and Spirit, is active and working in a variety of ways. And he has gifted his people in a variety of ways in order to build and to build up his church. He has assembled this body of believers with with our variety of gifts to build up this church. And frankly, when when it comes to Logansville Church, I don't see any sign of that letting up. Do you? The building up of this church. This is the Lord's doing. Is is God not building up this church? Is not God using one another to do that? Us, you, to build up this church? Secondly, All gifts come from the same source, from God. There can be no giving without a giver. Look down at verse 11. Paul says, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. We need to remember that um, while we're focused on preparing to move into a new building in the coming, coming weeks, the building itself whichever building it is, is simply a tool for ministry, right? I don't know what the Lord has for us in, the, in our next phase of life, so to speak, the next couple of years, the next decade. Um, in two years, Logansville Church will celebrate its, I guess it would be the bicentennial, right? 200th anniversary. The church was founded in 1824, So in 2024, that makes us 200. What does God have in store for Logansville Church for the next 200 years? We don't know. But I know that he has a purpose and a plan for Logansville Church, for Redemption Bible Church. And I know that it will involve each of us using our gifts to build up his church and to build up one another. It's important to acknowledge That our gifts all come from the same source, from the same God. We're not modalists, we are Trinitarian, and and this has become part of our our creedal confession. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7 says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. It was given according to Christ's will. And then the third application is this. We must understand that spiritual gifts include the more humble and quieter forms of expression, such as everyday acts of service. It's not just the showy gifts. It's not just the upfront gifts. It's also the everyday acts of service. Do you understand how important it is that some of you regularly 
sign up to provide meals for others. Do you understand how important that is in the life of a church? Or to mow lawns for one another. Or to give rides as needed. Or to babysit. Do you understand that the body would not be functioning properly without those things? Can you see how important they are? I know that some of you have felt how important those things are. I know when you take it out of the oven, you've felt how important that is, right? In fact, I would argue that these acts of service, or even hospitality, they're not only the most common gifts of grace, but they're also the most important because they're necessary in every church, in every place, during every time. So I've given you a couple of examples, providing meals or mowing lawns or babysitting, etc. Let me give you one more. Paul uses the same word for gift and then the word for service in verses 4 and 5. He uses those same two words um, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4, where he's talking about taking up a collection for the saints. Let me read this. He uses the same words. Uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 4 says this. Let me start in verse 3. For uh, they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. He uses in there the same word for gift and service. And honestly, the, the idea of taking up a collection, that may seem a little bit less charismatic than other gifts, right? But it is no less a sign of the Spirit working in a body of believers. This is how the Lord enabled us, Logansville Church, to purchase a new building, a new meeting house, with cash. Because of the Spirit working amongst this body of believers. This is how the Lord has enabled us to, to have two pastors working full-time. This is how the Lord has used Logansville Church to raise over 25% of the Walk for, Fund, uh, Walk for Life funds for the Pregnancy Center. And I can tell you that despite what some have said, to use the language of charismatics, but I think in a more accurate and biblical way, this is just further proof that this is a spirit-filled church. The Holy Spirit is at work in Logansville Church. And I don't have to jump up in the pews and rant and rave to get you to see that. The Holy Spirit is at work in this church. These gifts that you all have continued to exercise are from the one Holy Spirit, our one Lord, our one God, empowering each of us for one purpose. One purpose. Look at verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This verse is actually, it's sort of Paul's thesis statement for his entire argument, his purpose for this entire chapter. 
The gifts, the the manifestation or the outworking of the Spirit, that means, are given to the saints so that they may benefit others and serve the whole body. Now, if we were sort of going to break down and title the rest of this chapter, we would categorize verses 8 to 10 under the, the heading of the first part of that verse, which is, to each one is given, and then verses 12 to 26 as, for the common good. Can you see that by just sort of glancing through the chapter? To each one is given certain gifts for the common good, for the building up of the saints. And as we look very briefly at these next verses, um, it's important to remember that this is obviously not a definitive list of spiritual gifts. In fact, I don't actually think there is a definitive list of spiritual gifts. Rather, the focus of these things is that every Christian, or or I could say it this way, everyone who has been sealed with the Holy Spirit is gifted in some way for the building up of us all, for the building up of the body of Christ. Everyone in whom the Holy Spirit dwells will see the Spirit manifest Himself, work out through us in some way. We sometimes just simply call this the fruit of the Spirit. And so Christians, we sometimes provide meals or give money because the Holy Spirit compels us to show love and kindness and joy, etc. Right? Those are just a couple of the examples of some of the gifts that you have continued to display. And so verses 8, 9, and 10, in those verses we see a sampling of gifts. Now, the difficulty that we face is that some of these gifts are not, to use the word is, is actually normative. They're not normative or even, even present in the church today. Of course, there are those who would disagree with that. Um, they would contend, there are those who would contend that the miraculous sign gifts do continue today. But I could say this, we see nothing like what we see. We see what we see today is nothing like what we see in the New Testament. Um, there are those who like to make all kinds of claims of healings and whatnot, but there's never any proof, right? Or anecdotal evidence at best. But we must remember that we cannot fall into the trap of experience being the highest authority. We must look to Scripture for proof. So consider this. Signs, these are sometimes called signs, Signs are just that. They point to the reality. That big red sign down on 68 is is not the caverns, right? It literally points to the caverns. It's just a sign. It's a cool sign, but it's just a sign. Signs point to the reality, and in Scripture, the miraculous is not ordinary. In fact, as as you look to all of Scripture... One thing that stands out in in this realm is that there are seasons of of high miraculous activity which are connected to new revelation being given. So signs and wonders are given in Scripture. We see the miraculous happen often in Scripture to authenticate the message being proclaimed. So, So consider that there are really only three time periods or eras in which new revelation is being given. And these are accompanied by signs and wonders as authentication. 
So, so you have the time of Moses and Joshua, which is the exodus and the conquest, where you see lots of miraculous activity. But what were they doing? They were writing a scripture. The times of Elijah and Elisha, or the writings and the prophets in the Old Testament. And then the third era is the time of Jesus and the apostles, in which we have received the gospels and the epistles. And other than those times, there are not major outbreaks of miracles or signs and wonders in the Bible. Now, there may be moments where the miraculous occurs outside of the lifetimes of those men, but most of the signs and wonders occur in the Scripture during the lives of Moses and Joshua, Elijah and Elisha, and Jesus and the apostles. And in this case, the apostle Paul is writing an epistle, so he's writing Scripture, new revelation from God to the church at Corinth, And we know that with the completion of the book of Revelation, the canon of Scripture is closed. It even says that. And so the emphasis shifts then to the ordinary means of grace. And one other point here is this. The use of gifts in the Scriptures must define how we practice them today and not the other way around. And so the TV preacher who claims to have a word of knowledge about someone at home or somebody in the audience, so they'll say something like, there's somebody out there with back pain. That charlatan is no different from a greedy fortune teller. That's kind of strong language coming from a preacher, but there it is. He's no different from a greedy fortune teller. The same goes for those who offer the illusion of healing without any kind of verifiable proof, and it's never verifiable. Spiritual gifts are not simply Christian magic tricks. A couple of years ago, we had a retired missionary join us to give a report. And as a church, um, years ago, we had supported them sometime in the past, and so we kind of knew who they were. Um, but it had been a long time, so we also kind of didn't know who they were. And so we let them come and share a little bit. They had retired, and they just wanted to share a little bit of their retirement and what they had done in their ministry. Um, And so we let them come during lunch, and as he spoke, he mentioned broken bones being healed and other miraculous wonders. Now, I know, I know that I'm a cynical guy. I know that. But I simply don't believe those stories. Tell me instead about the greater miracle of souls being saved. Tell me instead about churches being established, of Christ continuing to build his church. Tell me those testimonies, because that's the reason that any kind of spiritual gifts exist at all for the common good, for the building up of the body of Christ. I'm going to stop here a little bit early and leave you hanging a little bit, say some kind of um, sharp things and then leave you hanging before we get into each of these gifts listed here in verses 8 to 10. Instead, we're going to go through those next week, Lord willing. 
I'm going to give uh, my plan for next week is to give a little bit of a more robust biblical defense of why I'm a cessationist and lay out some of the biblical proof for my view on the signed gifts. But for today, I want you to remember this. These gifts are given by our one God for one purpose, the common good of the church according to his will. See it again in verse 11. There is one will. All these are empowered by the one and same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Jesus has said, I will build my church, and he uses us to do this. And while this here in verse 7 is kind of a rest- verse 11 is kind of a restatement of verse 7, uh, let me give you five more applications for us here. Just five simple statements. The first is this. The spirit of God is sovereign in distributing his gifts, these gifts of grace. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 4 says this, therefore We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it, the gospel. For since the message declared by angels or messengers proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and uh, by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to His will. According to His will. Second, the credit for these gifts belongs solely to the will of God. Therefore, Christians do not possess anything that they are not given by Him. And we should rejoice that He has given us anything by grace. Should we not? We should rejoice that He has given us anything. Third, no single person has all of the gifts. No one person can be lifted up as an ideal Christian. No gift makes any uh, one person more spiritual than another. Fourth, the Spirit works in every Christian in the covenant community. The Spirit is working in every Christian in the church. That means that if you are a Christian... The Lord expects you to work in some way for the building up of the body of Christ. And in fact, he has gifted you toward that end. I I see the names when they sign up for meals. I rejoice. That is a gift of grace if you're able to do that. If you're willing to do that. It's, It's the same few people nearly every time. That's okay. the gift of the Lord to be able to provide for one another, to meet one another's needs and carry one another's burdens. He has gifted you toward the end of building up the body of Christ. And then number five, the Spirit ensures that there will be a diversity of gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. We're not all here trying to have the one and the same thing. The Spirit has brought us together from a variety of backgrounds, from a variety of uh, even parts of Ohio. (laughs) The Spirit has assembled this church 
The Lord has called us together for the building up of the body of Christ. And he's gifted us in such a way that it is evident to me and to those who notice <laughs> that the Lord is building up this church through you. Lord willing, we will talk about this more next week. I think I've probably left a few things hanging, but we'll pick it up here next week. Pray with me. Lord, we trust you. We trust what you have said. Where we are wrong, I pray that you would correct us, Lord. Where we are right, I pray that you would firmly um, help us to understand and to know and to trust and to believe. Lord, where we hear your promises, I pray that you would write them in our hearts that we might not forget the promises of God that find their completion in Christ. Help us to find ways to serve one another because it means that you are working in us. Lord, I pray that the fruit of your spirit would continue to, to work out in the lives of the saints of Logansville Church. Lord, as we think of service, we can't help but be reminded of the service of our Lord Jesus Christ, who said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Who said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Who died for our sins and was raised that we might live with him forever. Father, we rejoice that you have given us the gift of eternal life through your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.